So episode four of the Partners Desk here at the Lamy's Building in uh, downtown Sedalia, and we have another local celebrity. Uh, he is the all-time winningest coach at the University of Central Missouri, 2014 Division II National Champion and current Pitt State Gorillas head coach. Welcome to the Partners Desk, true son, Kim Anderson. <laughs> Great to be here. So I was trying to work in how I was going to say that you're immortalized in Sedalia's Applebee's. But it just didn't really flow in the intro, so now I've just got to like shoot it in now. I, I don't think it's there anymore, is it? I, I haven't, uh, I haven't been there obviously yeah. for, for quite a while. But I think, uh, I think uh, there maybe have been some more uh, famous people that have come along and kind of pushed me and my sister out. Well, I got to say, growing up, I mean, we went a handful of times because um, there's just not a ton of options in Sedalia, right? But I always remember going in there and seeing your name up there and not really realizing what what it meant like there was bill barton of the sedalia mm -hmm. roadrunners right sure i think he's probably the winningest head coach at state fair um once was quoted being like everybody every time that kim is down here talking about the golf tournament um I'd have to uh, – he is the most respected guy here, um, not just for his coaching or his athletic ability, but for what he means to mid-Missouri. I'm also the worst golfer <laughs> when it comes to it. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, Reed, growing up, uh, obviously, when you look, I think, as I look back, and, uh, you know, Sedalia was a tremendous place to – to uh, to grow up, I was really fortunate to have you know great teachers, great coaches. But but I think it comes back to my parents. You know my my mom and dad, and, and uh, you know as as we do this today, my dad's uh, 92 years old, still living, wow. live, lives by himself, and still very self sufficient. And, and my mom passed away about 10, 12 years ago. But uh, you know I always had uh, I always had my parents and they were very supportive and uh you know my dad was a teacher and uh so i always had we always had a key to the gym a gym mm -hmm. whether it would be uh jefferson elementary which that'll take some of your listeners way back <laughs> uh washington you know and then and then later to the junior high or middle school so just just having those two as a support uh, and, and, and helping me along the way, I think that was key. And then there were so many great people in this town. You know, I love coming back here. You know, my wife and I have even, uh, you know, I'm getting to the point now where in not too many more years, I'm going to, I'm going to retire from coaching and you know, we've actually thought about moving here. So, uh, uh, you know, this is always going to be home. It does have a really special place. When we were talking with Tim Barnes, he said the same thing. Um, when he went to the Rams, he was super excited because he was still pretty close. I mean, he was at the Ravens but came back. And then moving to L.A., I, I, I got to get back. So, I mean, he's 15 minutes north of here. He loves it. Um, I mean, I'm not sure everybody does, but I think that's everywhere, right? And then you find your own group that – Everybody yeah, enjoys. I, you know, I've lived in a lot of places, and uh, uh, <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of neat, neat things about each place. 
but I, it all comes back to here. Really, I think this is what you compare it to. And again, you know, I go back to to growing up and 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 having great teachers and great coaches and uh, great support in the community. And and uh, uh, you know, it's it's uh, you know, it's a place that that kind of. Uh, uh, draws you, draws you back, and still have a lot of friends here, and and uh, I still try to come back here as often as possible. Like I said, my dad's still here, so uh, you know who knows what's going to happen down the road, but uh, I may end up being a uh, bartender over here at the, the bistro. <laughs> Welcome anytime. Yeah, it wouldn't be very, they wouldn't be very good drinks. Unless you uh, just wanted beer. Yeah, listen. Beer, I could pour some wine. That'd be about it. I let Libby and the bartenders take care of the rest, but if you need a Boulevard weed on draft, I got you, brother. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you said something interesting. You've lived a lot of places, and I was kind of looking through doing some research, and being in both France and Italy, right? Right. You were in Italy twice. Right. Do you have a – between those two, are you like, man, I really wish we could go back there or – spend more time there were those fun years or was it just about grinding and trying to get to the nba no if i uh if i had a choice i would i would uh, run back to italy oh yeah you know, i think we uh, uh melissa and i got married in 1977 on august 27th and uh, three days later we were sitting in uh, a town called forley italy and, uh, you know, I had never really been out of the country. Uh, she hadn't either, you know. And so it was, uh, was an unbelievable experience. It's, it's one that you, you, uh, you do. And now, you know, many years later, you kind of wish, hey, maybe I could have done this a little bit longer, you know, because I certainly retired from basketball at like 27 or something. You know, I could have played another few years but uh, Italy was unbelievable and uh, you know I played I played on a team that was was pretty good not great we used to play on Sundays and uh, sometimes on Wednesdays but we always had a lot of free time so we got to travel a lot and uh, uh, see the country and then uh, uh, my my last year at Missouri uh, to be what four years ago or four or five summers ago, uh, I fixed it so I could. We took a foreign tour to Italy and we went back, and uh, I took the Mizzou team and, and obviously my family and some friends and uh, to go back to where you played. Now this is quite a few years later, you know, but to go back to where you played. Uh, you know, I took I took my friends and, and 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 it was cool because we met three or four of my teammates that I had played with back you know 1978, 79, 80, somewhere back in there. And uh, you know, I'll never forget this day. We went up in the hills of Bertinoro, which was right near Fort Lee, and we sat there for hours uh, drinking wine and, and and beer and eating the local foods and. And, and then everybody got a big kick out of me trying to speak my broken Italian <laughs> with my buddies who 
were speaking their broken English, so we had a combination yeah. of languages, and uh, it was really cool. And then, uh, you know, the French experience was good. We lived right on the border of uh, Switzerland and Germany in a town called Malus. Uh, team wasn't as good, but had some great teammates, great guys. Uh, got to see a lot of France. Got to see a whole lot of Switzerland. I mean, we used to jump in the car, uh, you know, and Switzerland had a McDonald's, and they had English movies. So we'd jump in the car and go across the border and, and uh, take in an English movie and uh, at McDonald's. And, uh, you know, kind of felt like home. Yeah. So – you were there for three years over in Europe, back and forth. Uh, ba- I only I say back and forth because you yeah. get drafted by Portland, and then you head over there. T- how does that work? Um, well, I tell you how it worked. It was so. This is this is back uh, uh, in in uh, you know 1970, what seven, and uh, I, I play. I just finished playing at Mizzou. And I was drafted in the NBA by the, by the Trailblazers. And at that time, there were, uh, I think there were 22 teams in the NBA. And I was drafted the fifth pick of the second round. So I was the 27th pick by Portland. And Portland, it, that was the year where they actually won the world championship. And so they then they got into agents and negotiations. I actually took a three-week tour to Italy with a bunch of other guys, and we were using it as a contract negotiation thing. And I uh, got over there. So the idea is you go over there, and, and a team from Italy will take you off of your tour and bring you to their hometown and try you out and maybe try to sign you. So uh, I went to this town, Fort Lee, and um, a, a dear friend of mine named Mauricio Garadini who turned out later on to be a, an NBA assistant general manager, and now he's back in Italy again. But uh, he had done his undergrad, or he had done his, uh, he was a foreign exchange student and had actually gone to Wash U, Washington University. So he, he spoke English, which was the big key. Yeah. <laughs> but he, uh, he had seen me play at Mizzou, so he brought me into, uh, uh, brought me into Fort Lee, and uh, I had a two-game tryout. So the first night, we played uh, a team. We played them at home, and I must have scored. Uh, I must have scored 40 points. So you know, after the game, we are like, "Let's sign. Let's get signed." We went to the beach. We had, we had, you know, the fresh fish and mussels and clams and uh, snails and all kinds of stuff. And I said, well, I got to talk to my my future wife, and I got to talk to my agent and stuff. So, okay, well, so we play the next night, and uh, you know, I I couldn't have thrown the ball. You know, we're sitting here in this beautiful building now. I I couldn't have hit that glass window over there. I scored like five points. So then they're like, well, now wait a minute here. Let's <laughs> see. But ultimately. Uh, Ultimately, I went back and we uh, negotiated with Portland. Portland offered me the uh, minimum NBA salary, and it was non-guaranteed. And uh, and so I I chose to go to uh, I chose to go back to Fort Lee. You know, 
most people nowadays think of, yeah, the NBA, those guys are making, you know, millions, millions, millions. The minimum salary in 1977 was $32,500. So the team in Italy was going to pay me 35000 and guarantee it. So, hey, you know, $3,000 back then, plus guaranteed. So we went to Italy, spent a year there, uh, came back, and uh, Portland actually I had a great year, you know, and Portland actually wanted to sign me. So I ended up going to the Trailblazers for twice as much money as they were going to pay me the first time, plus it was guaranteed. And uh, I was with them, oh, probably uh, a half a year, three quarters of a year. And, uh, but I got paid for the whole year. And so I, uh, uh, I, left, I left there in January, February. And I actually moved back to Columbia and finished my uh, undergraduate degree. I was a, I was a uh, uh, student teacher. I was the assistant track coach at Rockbridge High School. Okay. We won fourth in the state that year, by the way. <laughs> and then um, uh, the next year, I went back to Forley. They wanted me to come back. I went back, and uh, we had a good team to play. And then I kind of got into a deal where I, I, I wanted to get my master's degree. So I, I just kind of hung around Columbia, and Melissa worked for a year. Uh, and then I had some more opportunities, and that's when we went to France and played there for a year and then, and then came back and got into coaching. So I'm very curious to um, hear your opinion on European basketball as it pertains to like the different levels. Just like in soccer and a lot of places, there are those different levels. And you have to play through. In Fort Lee, you guys were like a Series 2. We were series, A2, yeah. Yeah. But in, in France, you guys were in like the championship, right? We were, we were in the championship division. Division, yeah, right. Yeah, we definitely weren't the champions. <laughs> I got <gotcha. laughs> you. Did you see a difference between Italian Series 2 and French um, championship? Yeah, I think, I think the Italian League uh, at that time, and, and now, I, you know, it's, it's changed over the years probably, but I think at that time it was uh, – the Italian League was pretty good. You know, most people will, will remember, will, will recognize the name Mike D'Antoni who, uh, you know, was the coach of the Rockets and, and, and has been an NBA coach. You know, he actually played uh, on a team in Milan uh, the same time I played. Now, he's, he's older than me, but uh, he was like – he had naturalized. He was, had dual citizenship, so he played as an Italian because you can only have two um, non-Italians on your team. And so D'Antoni played – he naturalized, so he became, you know, part Italian, and he yeah. became a he became a uh, star. I mean, he was unbelievable. Then he stayed over there and coached for a while, uh, and then he got back over here in the NBA. But you know, a guy in the news recently, Terry Stotts, was the coach of of um, Portland. You know, he played over there. So you know, every once in a while, I see guys. You know, there there were quite a few guys in the past probably 10 or 15 years who, who uh, you know, might have played over there and ended up coming back or, or ended up coaching or, or, you know, whatever the situation might be. Might be. You know, I don't, the, the salaries now, I don't know. I mean, I know there's really good salaries. I, mm -hmm. I have a couple of ex-players uh, 
that are playing in, in Italy now. A couple of guys I coach at Mizzou are actually playing in Italy. And, and I'm sure the money's good. I don't know if it's as, as good as uh, – it's not as good as the NBA in most cases, but I think it's still pretty good. But I, I think the Italian league at that time was kind of the king. It was kind of the best league. So I think any more, any professional league, all these European, Asian countries um, have gotten to a level where you can make a fairly decent living. Now everybody watches the NBA, but in local areas, right? Um, I think Ricardo Ratliff is like the king of South Korea, mm -hmm. right? Sure. <laughs> He's just absolutely killing it. But um, going back one step, right? So we're talking about you playing in Europe after getting drafted. Um, in 1976, right, um, you guys are making a pretty deep run um, into the NCAA tournament, first appearance in 38 years or something for mm -hmm. Mizzou. So it's a big deal. Um, you're playing versus Michigan, and you go up for a layup and get your legs taken out of you and dunk the ball. I did not know this until about 30 minutes ago, but that was against the rules. Can't uh, dunk. Couldn't dunk in 76. You couldn't 77. So that's <laughs> what I was going to ask you. So the uh, so I have this little quote. Um, for anybody who's looking for it, you can look at it under slam dunk um, on Wikipedia. But dunking was banned in the NCAA in high school sports from 1967 to 1976. Many people have attributed the dominance of then-college phenom Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, the no dunking rule is sometimes referred to as the Lou Alcindor rule. Do you think you were the one who got the rule changed? Well, I, you know, Coach Stewart and, 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 uh, has said this for years, that um, I was not the one that got the dunk rule changed. I was the one that got the rule changed where you go up for a shot and somebody comes underneath you and you hang on the rim he's always said I got that rule changed now whether I did or not <laughs> I don't know that that's always been uh, that's always been his thing I don't you know I don't think I got the dunk rule change I think uh, it, it got to a time where uh, you know the, the, the athleticism was just unbelievable and, and you know could you imagine today playing without the dunk I mean it's un it's unbelievable so so you know, I went through, I went through high school and and uh, my first three years of college where I couldn't dunk, and uh, not only me, nobody could. Right. And then, um, you know, my senior year we could, but it was still kind of a new phenomenon. You know, you can yeah. you can dunk and and so there wasn't as much, and there certainly wasn't the acrobatic dunks that you see today. But uh, uh, yeah, I dunked. Got a technical foul, uh, and uh, uh, they ended up making free throws. And we, we were actually ahead in that game, mm -hmm. I think with five minutes to go or something. And uh, Michigan came back and won. And, you know, Coach Coach Stewart's always said that if we'd have won that game, that would have kind of changed the perception of Missouri basketball. Because even through all these years, uh, Missouri basketball still hasn't been to the Final Four. You know, been to three, maybe four Elite Eights but it's never been to the Final Four. So, you know, sometimes when you make that, that kind of establishes you as a program. 
damn Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, <laughs> you know, I, I, I played against Kareem Abdul-Jabbar um, when I was at Portland, and uh, we, I, it was during the exhibition season. We had a bunch of injuries, so I was playing a lot with Portland. I was starting playing, uh, wasn't doing great, but I was playing, and, and I can recall one game. You have, you have no idea how big Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is. You have no you, – you can look at his stats and say he's 7'2 or whatever he is. You have no idea how big he is. So I caught the ball at the free throw line, and for some reason nobody was guarding me. And so I, I had an open line to the basket. I was going straight to the basket. I was going to – probably wouldn't dunk it, but I was going to score. And uh, when I got to the basket, I have no idea where he came from. But he came from somewhere, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar uh, redirected my shot about 10 rows up in the old forum. And I had no idea. I, I was like, <laughs> where in the world did this guy come from? Phenomenal player. Just could move. Uh, oh, I mean, just, just so long. And, and you know, you, you look at him and, and you think he's real skinny. Nah, he ain't skinny. He's strong. And this is back, you know, this is back before – Weightlifting was big, mm-hmm. you know. I never lifted weights. I played in the NBA, never lifted weights, and uh, uh, didn't. You know, lifting weights in college wasn't the the vogue thing to do either. And now that's a whole new industry, you know, and uh, training guys and stuff like that. So, um, it was interesting when I was looking at the '77 draft and going through seeing people's heights and weights, and I was kind of baffled that you know. Coming out of college, six foot seven, two hundred pounds. I'm like, I feel like that would be like a two forty guy now. Yeah. Like that's, and it's because there was no weightlifting. The yeah. dietary plan was not near as advanced, right? Yeah. I mean, the ultimate demise of my career in the NBA was that I wasn't big enough to be a power forward. And at that time, you know, you kind of had the center, the power forward, the small forward, the shooting guard, and the point guard. But I wasn't big enough to be a power forward. I wasn't quick enough to be a small forward. And that kind of ended, that, that kind of brought, you know, that, that made, made it hard for me to play at, at that level with the, uh, with the athleticism and the quickness and everything that everybody has. Do you look back and ever watch any old game tape or anything from the 70s and 80s and then look at today and be, wow, this game looks different? Yeah, I mean, I've watched I've watched old games, you know, old NBA games. Not of me. I don't I don't even know if they had them when I was playing, but uh, but I've watched those. And then you watch today's game, and today is you know athletic, taking it to the hole, phenomenal shooters. You know, hardly anybody shoots the ball uh, mid range anymore, and uh, it's. Uh, I think today is just more of a of an athletic game. I, I do think 20 years ago, you know, the skill level was was probably better, you know, and, and the execution and the actual offense. Now now everybody just runs a pick and roll, some form of a pick and right. roll, you know. Back then, you know, you're running plays and you're you're running the the triple uh, triple post that Coach Stewart ran or. Uh, you know, any number of different offenses, the flex, uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, and you still see those today occasionally. But bottom line, with the shot clock, you know, that shot clock gets down to about 10 seconds, 
you better have yourself a little old point guard that can take that ball and go somewhere and do something with it, whether mm -hmm. shoot it, uh, pass it, you know, or, or uh, take it to the hole or whatever it is. You got to have that guy. And if you don't, it's, it's harder now to win. It's harder to, to, to score points because the clock puts a, it puts a, you know, a, a time limit on what you can do. Mm -hmm. And you, know, you can't get nervous when the clock gets to 10. You still got a lot of time. But sometimes I think a lot of people do, and that's that's a hard thing to teach sometimes. So when you're recruiting people now, right? You've been doing, you've been a head coach recruiting kids for the past 19 <coughs> years, 20 years. A couple of things. One, every year trying to go out and convince 17, 18, 19 year old kids to come play for you, come be part, be part of the culture. Does that get tiring at all? Um, I think, you know, the the older I've gotten, the uh, the more distaste I think you have for recruiting, you know. But it's it's obviously a necessary thing that you have to do. Mm -hmm. uh, there are so many people nowadays involved with student athletes, uh, you know. Back when I first started doing this, you would talk to mom and dad and the high school coach. Now, now you're talking to, to the, the trainer, uh, the AAU coach, hmm. uh, the uncle, you know, the, the, sometimes the mom and dad. Uh, rarely do you deal with the high school coach anymore. I mean, hardly ever are they involved anymore. Hmm. Uh, the, the big, I mean, where you get your players and, and where you get involved, I think more comes through the, the AAU stuff. You know, that's become a, a, an unbelievable, uh, I call it an industry, you mm -hmm. know. Yeah. I mean, people make a lot of money off of, of uh, having, having tournaments, mm -hmm. and there are hundreds and hundreds of tournaments that are going to take place in July around the country. And you know you have you have entrepreneurs who are making money. They charge. They might charge. Uh, they'll charge the teams to play. They'll charge, obviously, the people to, to come in. And then they may they may charge the coaches three, four, five hundred dollars to come watch. You think about that now, mm -hmm. and, and 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 what will you get for that? Well, you might you'll get a book with everybody's name probably phone number and maybe their email okay you might get a hospitality room but you're going to get you're going to get three four i mean some aren't that much some are a hundred some are you know it just depends mm -hmm. but the big ones those might they may charge you three or four hundred dollars to come in and watch and uh if uh you know if you don't pay you don't get to watch you can't you can't sneak in on the other side <laughs> either because everybody knows you you know you got the parents paying Ten bucks, and you got the coaches paying three hundred. Somehow they know who you are, when, yeah. and you can't sneak in. Well, also probably being and a six get foot special seven guy. <laughs> See, when you're a coach now, you got to sit in a special spot now because you're not supposed to have contact with any of those parents oh, okay. or or coaches. Uh, Division two is a little different. Than Division one, but you can't you can't like go sit up next to Johnny's mom mm -hmm. and talk to her for the whole game. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all out. So you just 
You're just kind of there. You're watching, and then you're go home. Call so, them on the phone. So send them a text. Yeah, but that is wildly different than what you experienced coming from Smith Cotton, eventually going to Mizzou. Was there even a second school in the running, or did you know that that was? what you wanted to well there were six schools that now again the times have changed mm -hmm. you could visit as many schools as you wanted now you can only visit five mm -hmm. okay mm -hmm. and there's only one signing period now and that's in uh november well it's different division two but in division one there's one signing there was one signing period in in april now there's november and in april uh i actually visited missouri uh i visited kansas i visited kansas state visited Memphis, uh, visited Texas, and I visited uh, one more, Vanderbilt. I visited Vanderbilt. And uh, so I was like traveling around, mm -hmm. you know, in the spring. But Missouri was pretty much always the one I wanted to go to. I had met Coach Stewart when I was in eighth grade, and uh, we were at a basketball camp at Wentworth Military Academy, and he had come over. This was early in his coaching career. He had come over. I was shooting around on a side basket, and he came over and spent like 30 minutes with me. And that, I was, I was in eighth grade now, mm -hmm. and he was, you know, he's pretty, pretty big shot, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, that kind of always piqued my interest to go play at my home, my home school, my home state. And uh, uh, so ultimately, that's where I ended up going. There's, there's a lot of stories, you know, coach. Coach used to come to the Smith Cotton cafeteria, so he's like really trying to recruit me. And Kansas was really trying to recruit me, so Coach would come uh, to the to the cafeteria. He came for like two weeks in a row, leading up to signing day. And uh, he's probably one of the only guys that can drive to Columbia in under an hour, okay, or drive from Columbia to here and back. Uh, and he would come in. He and he wouldn't even sit with me. He would go sit with students. He'd go. He'd be out there sitting with whoever. And then at one o'clock, when I had class, he'd come by and say, "See you tomorrow." He'd be gone next day. He'd be there. And uh, uh, so that—that's kind of back then. There were no restrictions on how many times you could see a player. So he would come, and and uh, he was the old old SC cafeteria there for <laughs> about two weeks in a row. So you mentioned him originally uh, talking to you when you were in eighth grade. Were you already six foot four, six foot five, or was did you? No, I was actually about six two in eighth grade, and I grew to six five. My between when I started my sophomore season, I was six five, and then I went to six seven in my junior year, and I went to six eight my senior year, and then I I stopped. Now I'm going down. Now I'm going the other direction. <laughs> we all go down and yeah, out, right? I'm going the other direction. <laughs> um, so, does that make college? Does that make high school basketball that much more easy? Because back then, we just found out couldn't dunk. So being six foot seven, six foot eight still has its advantages, but it's not the turnaround, put it in while everybody else is six foot two or whatever. Uh, how much easier was it to be that big? Yeah, I mean. I'm only asking. It was, six, it was, <laughs> it, you know, yeah, because I was taller than just about everybody. You know, rarely would you, would I come up against a guy my size. Uh, you know, it, the only thing about it is, you know, the game has changed 
in a positive way and that back then, man, if I touched somebody, it was a foul. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was like, and, and you know, I'd go over guys' backs because I could just reach over and grab a ball. I wouldn't even touch them, but they would still call fouls. So right. it was harder to play without fouling, I think, than it was uh, uh, later on, the way it is today. You know, yeah. today it's a very physical game, and if you're not in – if you're not a strong physical guy and if you're not in that weight room, man, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for you. So we've seen basketball progress from when you were in the NBA, um, traveling around and everything, to like the 90s where it's basically every game ended in a fight to now this super athletic, um, maybe less technically sound game. Is there one that's more fun to watch for you? Or are you just like every year you want to see what's going to be the next trend? What's the next meta for the NBA? Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't watch a whole lot of NBA basketball. Uh, I do this time of year uh, because it's the only thing on. Right. You know, um, I've never, uh, I've never watched a whole lot. I watch a lot of college basketball. So I guess for me, I. I enjoy the college game. Uh, I enjoy studying the game. Uh, I think that as a coach, if you don't if you don't study the game, and I've learned so much in in the past. Even you know, I'm a head coach, so everybody thinks a head coach knows everything. Nah, he doesn't know everything. So I mean, I've learned so much just from from reading from watching you know now they got all kinds of videotapes mm -hmm. out you can go on youtube and spend the rest of your life watching mm -hmm. video and then you know the other thing that's been good for me is um, you know i left central missouri i went to missouri and and when i did that i took brad loose with me mm -hmm. but also hired three other four other guys who were from different programs so you know and then when I went to Pitt State, I did the same thing. You know, I've had four or five coaches now at Pitt State in my four years there, and three of them I think have gone on to be Division One assistants. So, but I learned because mm -hmm. you know I always liken it to like a, a family tree. You know, you have this tree. So I got this little tree now, and I got some guys out there coaching and stuff. But then, you know, I hire a guy, and he's connected to. Uh, somebody else and then ultimately they're down the line they're connected to John Calipari right you know they may be a little twig but they're they were connected to him or they're connected uh, to you know anybody you know Mike Krzyzewski or they're 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 connected to there are so many great coaches that aren't division one coaches or aren't division two coaches you know they're NAI coaches and and, and junior college coaches. And, and so every time you hire an assistant, I, I'm always like, hey, how did you guys do this at, uh, you know, Moberly Junior College? Or how did you do this at West Plains Junior College? Or how did you do this at Arkansas Fort Smith? So that, that so you're always, and it keeps you fresh, and it keeps your team fresh because you kind of get into it. I think sometimes you get stagnated and you do the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's not bad, no, uh, yeah. but it's just stagnation. So let's do something different. Let's accomplish the same thing, but let's do it differently. So when you hire a new assistant coach, right, 
do they typically reach out to you or do you go find one and say, kind of like what you're doing over there to be able to kind of expand? Well, both, I both. Gotcha. I mean, I, I keep a, you know, I, you always hear about the, co the AD that keeps the list in his drawer. Mm -hmm. the, well, I, I keep a list in my drawer and I'm always like observing other coaches, like like maybe when I'm watching video or, or maybe, uh, uh, you know, not, uh, probably not so much during a game, but I'm always observing other people while I'm coaching. You know, hey, this guy's pretty good guy on the bench, and uh, so you know, there's different, or or sometimes guys reach out to me, you know, and then I do I do some research, and uh, uh, you know, I've been fortunate. I've been fortunate. Uh, you know, at, at Central Missouri, I had the same guy for. 12 years, you know, and uh, I had some other guys too, but I had continuity. Pitt's, Pitt State's been different. I'm, I'm either uh, not doing a very good job or I'm picking the right guys because, you know, I had one guy go to Southeast Missouri. I had one guy just went to Sam Houston. Uh, you know, so I've had guys that have moved as, uh, uh, and, and that's good. I mean, that's why you're doing it. You know, I always tell, I tell my GAs, and I just promoted my GA, the first time I've ever done this, I promoted my GA to a full-time coaching job. And, and I always tell those guys, hey, yeah, we're supposed to win games, and we got to graduate these guys, and you know, we got to be good in the community and everything. But you know what? You got to be a little selfish. You got you to build yourself up, too. And, and my job is to do all that. But my job is also to help you so that you're not a GA at Pitt State for, you know, you can't be one for more than two years. But <laughs> so, but when you get done, you got, you got opportunities. Mm -hmm. If you're good. Now, if you're not good, I'll tell you, and you know, you probably ought to go do something different. Right. You know. But but, uh, uh, I think I think that's kind of the. I, I, I don't think, uh, I don't I don't know that that separates me. I think a lot of coaches are like that. I think they're all. You know, we, we bring in these guys. You know, in Missouri, I had a staff of, I can't even, I don't even remember how many. You know, I had video coordinator, academic advisor, uh, director of basketball operations, assistant director of basketball operations, uh, special assistant to the head coach, three full-time assistants, had all these people, mm -hmm. you know. And so you're all, their, their ultimate goal is usually always to be a full-time assistant coach. And so that's what you're ultimately trying to do is to help those guys prepare to get to that next level. So I always liken it to we, we do something very similar here. Uh, it's a way different caliber of uh, motivation and, and just career path in general. But to be able to bring someone in, help them grow is way better than to bring somebody in and like, oh, you'll figure it out, and just have them stick around and just fizzle completely, yeah. right? So yeah, I think the best thing is is I started off as a grad assistant um, with Coach Stewart, and I spent I spent three. It was a little different back then. It was grad assistant, volunteer assistant, whatever. So I spent three years doing that, and then um, I went to Baylor University with with a guy named Gene Iba, who was the nephew of, of the great Mr. Iba, the coach that was longtime coach at Oklahoma State who who's 
you know, one of the greatest figures ever in college basketball. And uh, so I was able, I was able to learn at Missouri, and, and I had great, great people to help me. You know, a guy named Bob Sunbold, a guy named Rich Daly, you know, obviously Coach Stewart. They helped me learn the trade, and, and I was ready. When I went to Baylor, I was ready. I was young. I, I wasn't as young as some, but I just finished playing. And, uh, and so I was there six years, and then I was able to come back to Missouri when they had an opening and uh, stayed there eight years until Coach Stewart retired. So Coach Stewart retires, and Quinn Snyder comes in, which – what a weird career path of anybody that guy's. Yeah, you gotta uh, give him credit. I mean, he <laughs> did fantastic this year. Um, so the guy, the guy who hired Quinn Snyder was a former player of mine at Baylor. He's the general manager now, Dennis Lindsay. Really? Yeah, yeah. So you should, a little something for the effort. <laughs> but so you go straight to UCM. Yes. No, I left when I left uh, Mizzou in '99. When when Quinn came in and coach retired. Uh, I was kind of in limbo, mm -hmm. you know. I was kind of uh, uh, the first time, really. I, you know, I, I didn't have a job, mm -hmm. and so I had a lot, I had opportunities. I had assistant coaching opportunities at other schools, and but I had this one opportunity as um, assistant commissioner at the Big Twelve Conference. So it was taking me completely out of of the coaching part and putting me into the administrative part. Uh, unbelievable, fascinating experience. And fortunately, I got hired. And the reason I got hired, they had a fairly new commissioner, but the guys in the league, the Roy Williams, the Eddie Suttons, Tim Floyds, Larry Eustacey, uh, God, you, go, you can go on and on, whoever. Uh, Kelvin Sampson, all these guys supported me to, to the new commissioner. And so I ended up being the first assistant commissioner for basketball for the Big 12 Conference and one of the first in the country. You know, they're, 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 that job just wasn't there. And mm -hmm. so there was this big movement to, to bring more attention to that, to, um, to being – to, to have an A guy overseeing basketball. You know, all the basketball coaches were bitching because they weren't getting enough attention, and men and women. And, and, you know, the football guys were getting all the, the attention. So, mm -hmm. so I became the first uh, assistant commissioner. And uh, uh, I'll never forget the first day I, I walked, I went in the office. It was in July. And uh, they put me in his office, and I, like, sat down, and I'm like, what am, what am I supposed to be doing? You know, because it was a new job. Right. So, so I had the luxury of creating this job and, and working this job. And, you know, I was in charge of, um, I was in charge of officiating. Uh, I had two people underneath me and, and uh, I was in charge of game management. I was, I was in, jar, in charge of everything inside the, inside the lines for the tournament the postseason tournament. Um, you know, I, had, I, I, I eventually assumed all these duties. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the, I think what was really fascinating for me was I was on the senior staff 
So I got to sit in every whatever day of the week, Monday or Wednesday, whatever day of, me, of the week we met with all these other assistant commissioners of the Big 12. And, you know, most of the time the, the conversation wasn't involved, was football. Right. But uh, it, was, it was really an interesting phenomenon for me to be able to do that. And I did that three years, and I actually was at a crossroads where I was either going to be a administrator or I was going to be, I was going to go back into coaching. And had the Central Missouri job not come along, I would still be, I probably would be an administrator now. I don't know if I'd still be at the Big 12 or I'd be an assistant AD or an AD or something. I don't know what I'd be doing. Mm -hmm. But then the Central Missouri thing, opportunity came and uh, it was a chance to come back home, never been a head coach. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we left Dallas and, and came back to, uh, to Warrensburg. So in 2002, when you come back, I mean, UCM's not at the tip top. Of yeah, the they were struggling. struggling. Good time to take over. <laughs> right. Uh, but within three seasons, I mean, you're starting to win 22 games, 24 games. You had like three 30-game mm -hmm. uh, years, including one in 07, five years after you take over. What's the process of getting a culture right where everybody knows they can – win 30 games, um, they just got to go out there and do it. Because if you're winning 12 yeah. games, 18 games, you're like, how the hell would we ever get to there? Mm -hmm. So so when I got the Central Missouri job, I was really fortunate. I, 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 I had an assistant coach, at, uh, Lamont Frazier, who had played for me at Missouri. He was the assistant there. And then I brought uh, Brad Luce in, who was a, a – I brought him in at that time. It was a graduate assistant job. Uh, the first year I was there, I was really fortunate to have a bunch of guys who were, they weren't very good, but man, they were great kids. They worked their butts off. We won 13 games or 14 games or whatever. And, um, uh, you know, I'll ever, forever be uh, grateful to those guys. I think one of them actually was played here. Keenan Oliver played at State mm. Fair way back. So, um, and then the next year, we we were able to recruit some players from Tennessee. Brad had some connections down in Tennessee. His father had been his father was the head coach at Austin P for years. Mm -hmm. Floor's named after him, and uh, so we we got lucky with a couple of guys, and uh, and it took off. It took off from there. A lot of a lot of the reason was it, it took off because the guys that we had helped us recruit the guys that we were bringing in. We kind of went back to the well, you know. We kind of went back mm -hmm. to the same schools, and uh, and then we got it going. And uh, what was it? Oh, five maybe we won the conference, or oh, well, I don't remember the first one, but oh seven, oh seven and oh nine we went to the elite eight. And, and won the first game, and then in uh, uh, in in 14 we actually won the whole thing. But what the the culture that was built was um, it was like every year I knew we were gonna win between 18 and 30 games. I knew it. I just knew we were gonna win. I, 
I just, I just, the, the attitude, the culture, the confidence, uh, you know, the support, everything else. I just knew we're going to win 18 games. Now we may not win the championship, we may not make the tournament, but we're not, we're not, we're not going to be, you know, 12 and 18. Right. We're not going to be 10 and 20. We're, ne we're never going to be that here. We're not going to do it. It won't. It's not going to happen, and it never did. Right. Uh, and and that's kind of a of a of a culture that you build. And then there's an expectation, and then one team, you know, one team uh, helps the next team, and the next team, and the next team. It's like, hey, this is the way we're going to do things now. You know, new guy comes in, he's kind of, you know, maybe a knucklehead or something, and guy says, hey, no, this this is the way we do things. And uh, if it persists, then you know, the guy probably doesn't stay. And, right. And you know, you have turnover. You're going to have turnover. Not everything works. Not not every not every kid you recruit fits into what you want. And uh, uh, but we were fortunate. We were lucky. Are you slowly finding the well at Pitt State? Of where it's been slow. Yeah. It, 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 you know, the first two years we did well. We uh, I, I say we did well. We won 17 games. I thought we were uh, we were really close uh, one year to making the national tournament, even though we didn't have a like a glossy record we had played a really good uh, a really good uh, schedule mm -hmm. uh, the third year we had a lot of things happen uh, and that was one of those years where you know you should never have you know I'd, I'll be honest with you and then last year with COVID we were we were rolling along and we had five games to go and our best player gets hurt and we had a couple guys go down with COVID and we ended up losing the last five we could have finished we were in third place, and we finished in like ninth or tenth, you know, because we lost those five. The league right. was really, really bunched up. So, uh, yeah, that was disappointing. The, the year before was more disappointing. The last year, man, we, you know, every every Sunday we get tested, mm -hmm. and so the biggest day of the week was Tuesday, and that's when you found out who was going to be able to play on Thursday and mm -hmm. Saturday, and. You know, we had we never got shut down, which in retrospect it would have been better if we got shut down for like two weeks or three weeks. We just had a one at a time, one here, and he'd yeah. take a, a quarantine guy with him. One here, and it seemed like every all the starters it seemed like got it at one point or another. So it was it was it was hard. It was hard. So it's hard to build a culture when you've got guys out. First off, right. Um, what, if any, is the difference between a Division II recruiting and building the culture versus a Division One? Because I can imagine Division One guys would more than likely have a bigger ego, and you're probably not really pulling from Wells like you might in mm -hmm. D2. You know, it's a great observation. You know, I think that, uh, again, go back earlier, we talked about Division One recruiting. The Division One guy a really good Division One player, and if you're going to win at Missouri or if you're going to win at at Kansas or or wherever, you have to have. Uh, you know, I, I'm not a big believer in the four star, five star, three star, but mm -hmm. it's there. You got to have really good players. You got to have top 100 players, at least a few. Mm -hmm. You know, and. So I think that, and, and then all of those guys, 
they have their mentors. They have their AAU coach. They have their, you know, their their personal trainer. They have, uh, you know, their parents. They have, you know, some of them have pseudo agents that aren't getting paid, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so these guys, and, and it's not like this for everybody, but but these guys are, they're they see this guy, all right, top top fifty guy. And they're their AAU coach. Okay, so now, and then the parents have entrusted them, mm-hmm. entrusted him. Mm-hmm. And so now, you know, this guy is kind of serving as the guy you got to talk to, you know. And, and, uh, and, and long term, and, and this isn't true to everybody, so I don't want to make this sound like it's a blanket thing, but mm-hmm. long term, that guy is banking on his player – to get to the NBA, mm-hmm. and that's where the money flows, you know. And I'm, and I'm not that, – that's, that's not cheating. No. Nobody's cheating. Mm-mm. They're just – they just have a lot of people that are helping them. And a lot of them are good, and some of them aren't, you know. Some of them – some you read about it all the time, you know. What dynamic – let me rephrase that. Um, what's the shift going to be – in your opinion, when these players do start getting paid above the table um, with the NCAA <coughs> letting people use their likeness and whatnot, do you think egos are just going to blow through the roof if they're the guy, or um, do you think it'll basically stay fairly similar to what it is now? I, I think it's a huge unknown. Um, I think that as you look at uh, as you look at players now you know one of the one of the things that I read is it says you can't be compensated based on your athletic ability well that's what this is all about right. you know this isn't they're not going to take the left guard and just say hey come on down to the bistro and sign autographs for a couple hours and I know that sounds like might be you a good know, idea. Reed, Reed, will get, <laughs> Reed will give you two or three hundred dollars if you just come down and sign them up. You know, sign autographs. Um, I don't, I don't know where it's going to go. I, I think it's very confusing. I think uh, it's been handled. Uh, th- there's too many people involved. I mean, you got you got Congress involved. Uh, you obviously, you got the NCAA involved. Now you got individual conferences involved, and you got individual schools involved. You know, and, and, and we're doing this today, uh, whatever today is, June 27, 28, whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, July 1's getting ready to hit. Mm-hmm. So something's going to happen. But so what, what happens when, when this football guy, the football quarterback, he gets paid $10,000 for going down to the car dealer or, or – creating something on his social media, which I'm not very adept at. And the guy who's hiking him the ball doesn't get anything. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or, or what about that same quarterbacks getting a lot, getting something and the star volleyball players not getting anything. There's so many athletes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I wish I had an answer, but I don't feel bad because no one has an answer right now. Do you think that, 
at Pitt State, um, obviously Kansas and Kansas State are huge, but in that part in southeast Kansas, Pitt State's like a known deal. Mm -hmm. They've had some great college athletes come through there in general. Do you think anything's going to change for your bunch? Or I don't know if that... I, I don't know. You know, I kid my friends. I got I got some friends that own businesses. And, uh, you know, I, I kid them and say, hey, I'm going to have, you know, <laughs> we're going to recruit this guy and he's going to be good and you need to you need to uh, have him come down and sign autographs yeah. or make an appearance <laughs> or whatever. You know, I, I don't I don't know. I I, yeah. I I don't think it'll hit Division Two for a while. I got you. you know, I don't know how it's going to hit Division One. You know, everybody blames it on the NCAA. Mm -hmm. So and and I definitely think there's some guilt involved. But who runs the NCAA? Everybody says Mark Emmert runs the NCAA. No, the schools run the NCAA, the, the, the conferences, you know. And, and, and so it, it just kind of let it get, you know. Now, I don't know Mark Emmert. I wouldn't want his job. No. Uh, and, and, and I'm sure there's some things that he hasn't done, you know, to get it right. But it's, there's, there's so many people that are trying to make decisions and and they're just hard to get an agreement. So I don't know. It's going to be uh, I, it's going to be a whole other layer of college athletics. It's going to be fascinating, I think. Well, I mean, everybody's got to have a job. Sometimes you're going to get paid to be a basketball player, and sometimes you're the head lifeguard at a local um, pool, surf club. Yeah, it's a surf club. I was a lifeguard. I I uh, have it here in my notes. Do you? Yeah. Um, what I was going to ask is, uh, we talked a little bit. You may retire in the next however many years. You're kind of coming to the end of the head coaching cycle. From your own words, I think you're doing. You can go on forever. Um, you think you'll ever make a return to the surf club, and be a head <laughs> lifeguard again? <laughs> You know, uh, I don't think I'll ever be head lifeguard, uh, but uh, I can certainly look back at those days and uh, with great fondness. Um, uh, a lot of people, uh, you know, will, will and I, I re vaguely remember when the uh, Ozark Music Festival, mm -hmm. so this is before your time. I'm well aware. But it's right in there with your dad. <laughs> but the Ozark Music Festival was going on, and a group of of people from the festival had somehow made their way out to the surf club, you know, out there on Highway Y, and they wanted to come swimming. Mm -hmm. And I walked out of the front door, and I had a baseball bat, and um, I wouldn't let them come swim. And you know what? In retrospect. I should have let them swim. They were good people. They just were, they were, they, they needed a shower. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but, uh, you probably don't have to do much at a six foot five, six foot seven guy with no, a baseball I just bat. Had my bat you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You come out there and you've been pounding the yeah. bat. Um, oh. But no, I don't, I don't think I'll get back to that. I think uh, uh, maybe I'll do something more Bartend. productive. Huh? Bartend. Bartend, yeah, here. yeah, yeah, beer or wine, <laughs> yeah, your, your business isn't gonna be very good. You're gonna have to have someone back there with me. Oh, uh, we'll get you, we'll get you a uh, bar back for you. That's, that's what I need. 
Well, I, I really appreciate you coming down. I know that uh, you're going to play the Sedalia 200 tournament, and I know that Sedalia appreciates you being here as part of that. I appreciate you being here at the Lamey's building and always being a friend. So um, thank you from the bottom of my heart for being on episode, I guess, three or four of the Partner's Desk, and uh, go low today. You know, this, this uh, thank you, Reed, really. It's kind of, kind of neat for me, and uh, really, really proud of what you guys have done here. You Thanks. know, it's, uh, uh, I, I had the opportunity to, to uh, have dinner here with your dad, uh, I think a year ago, mm -hmm. whenever it was, and uh, uh, I thought it was such a cool concept. And uh, uh, so I wish you well and, and your wife and, and hope, uh, hope people come down here and uh, have a great meal. Thanks for having me on. It is my pleasure, seriously. Um, you guys are, do you guys have your schedule out? When's your first? We'll have, uh, we, we just about got it done. It's been kind of weird because of the COVID and, mm -hmm. and trying to uh, get everything put together. But I would say in the next month, we'll be, we'll be, uh, we'll be done. We'll be up close here to central Missouri. Uh, obviously play Lincoln. So mm -hmm. uh, we get up in this area some, so people aren't doing anything come watch us yeah well we'll put a schedule out when we have it we'll link it in the description as soon Good. as it's out and uh we wish you the best of luck and uh, i'm proud to call you a fellow sedalian well thank and you man thanks friend